following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. I've shared one of my, my favorite sayings with you a few times, but it's cleaning the house with kids around is like brushing your teeth while eating Oreos, Right? Cleaning your house can feel like just a waste of time, especially if you have kids. Now, unless you're, some of you are, are like type A, like you, you want the house spotless all the time. Hey, that's good for you. Um, that is not me. I get frustrated because like we just picked up. How is this house a disaster area already? Because cleaning can feel pointless. And so what happens is eventually, if you're like me, you end up looking at the mess and you're like, okay, is this worth the effort right now? And many times you're like, I'm just going to leave it, which is why we have people into our house regularly because it forces us to pick up and clean up the house. Um, but, but it can feel like a waste of time and energy because you pick up, you clean up, you do all this stuff, and then immediately the house is a mess again. But again, like for us, when people are coming over, whether it feels like a waste of time or not, we're going to pick up. There's a different intensity. Why? Because there's a purpose behind it. There's a reason for it. It's not just picking up for picking up's sake so that then it can get dirty again. There is a purpose behind what we're doing. And no, no matter what it is in your life, we all have those things that we do because we have to, but if there's a meaning behind it, it takes on a new purpose, a greater meaning. Why is that? Well, over the past several weeks, we've seen the Apostle Paul writing this letter to Timothy and giving him lots of instructions and giving us lots of instructions as well. Instructions on how to keep the fire of our faith burning. But today we ask the question, yeah, but why? Why keep that fire burning? Why seek to make it burn brighter and hotter and stronger than it ever has before? And in these verses, Paul's going to shift his message back from here's what you need to do. Here's how you continue to grow brighter and hotter and stronger. And he shifts his focus back to the why. So the question that we ask ourselves as we come to these verses is this, what is the power of the fire that we fight so hard to build, to protect, and to embolden in our lives? First, Paul's going to remind us of this fire of faith. He's going to remind us that the power behind it is not a power derived from us or from our efforts or from the work we do to stoke that fire, to keep it burning, to build it up. But it's a divine source of power. And first, in verse 8, he's going to show us the power of the word, the power behind our faith. It's the power of the word. Watch how he says this in verse 8. He says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead and descended from David according to my gospel. Stop. Very simple. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David, according to my gospel. Now, he begins with this one very simple instruction. And really, the rest of this passage is going to build on this one instruction. He says what? Remember. 
Remember Jesus Christ. This is the foundation for the rest of this passage. And when he says remember, he doesn't mean, hey, I think, Timothy, you've forgotten something. He says, don't ever forget this. Continually remember day after day, hour after hour, minute after minute, moment after moment, continue to remember Jesus Christ. Because this is the foundation, like we said, of the rest of this passage, but Paul's saying this is the foundation for your entire life. Why? Why remember Jesus? And Paul begins by saying, well, remember, because he's the promised Messiah from the Old Testament. He's the promised Messiah from God's word, the Old Testament. Jesus Christ is not some random authority figure, some good spiritual teacher, some religious symbol. He is the promised and delivered Messiah that had been spoken of since the beginning of time, since Genesis chapter three. And he points this out to Timothy. He says, remember Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ who? The guy who, who taught a few years back? No. He says, Jesus Christ raised from the dead and descended from David. Saying there's something special about Jesus raised from the dead. If you go back to the book of Hosea, Chapter six, verse one and two, you get this prophecy of the one who delivers the people of Israel. Verse one and two of Hosea six says, come, let us return to the Lord for he has torn us and he will heal us. He has wounded us and he will bind up our wounds. He will revive us after two days and on the third day, he will raise us up so we can live in his presence. What Hosea is telling the people of Israel is, listen, you want to live life your own way, that's fine, but you're going to face judgment for that. You will be torn apart. You will be wounded. You will be hurt because you have done things your own way. But when you come to the Lord, he will heal you. He will bind you. He will fix what is broken. And how does he do that? He does it through the promised Messiah who sacrificed himself and rose on the third day so that we would be freed from death once and for all, so that we could live in his presence. Paul says, don't forget, Jesus was raised from the dead. But he says more, he says he's a descendant of David. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 23, verse five, it says, look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. I will raise up a righteous branch for David. He will reign wisely as king and administer justice and righteousness in the land. What Jeremiah is telling the Israelites is the the one who's coming, the Messiah, he is a branch of David, descended from David's family tree, and he will reign and rule forever and ever. He is the Messiah. So Paul says, Timothy, don't, don't forget Jesus isn't a guy who said a lot of nice stuff, and so we should probably listen to him. He says, no, no, no. He is the Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament, who has been delivered, who will stand in judgment, who does offer you hope and joy and freedom, who has given you everything you need. And Paul says, this is, this is what I've been telling you. He says, in my gospel, 
Right? Again, what he's saying there in my gospel is not, this is, this is what I think, this is what I believe. He's saying, this is what I have been teaching you over and over and over again. And Timothy, I want you to hear it and I want you to remember it every single day so that you can teach it over and over and over and over again. Jesus is the Messiah promised from God's word. And so we find the power of faith and the power of that word. Listen, if, if I were to go out tomorrow, I'd go stand on the edge of town, and as people sped into town, which is none of you, but as other people speed into town, and I stood there by the side of the road, I was like, hey, slow down. So, s- slow down. You should probably slow down. How many people are going to listen to me? Nobody's listening to me. Now, they see some lights flash on behind them, pull up behind, and now they're pulled over. The police officer gets out of the car, comes to the window and says, slow down. Now who's listening? (laughs) Everybody's listening, or you should. What's the difference It's not the words being said. We said the exact same words. What's the difference? It's the authority behind those words. Lest we get confused here. The power of our faith is not from the words of the Bible that you hold in your hand. The power of our faith comes from the authority of the one who spoke the word. That being said, how do we learn about the one who spoke the word? You learn it from that Bible that's in your hand. You have this Bible. You have this message of the God who created the heavens and the earth, set existence into motion, created you and me to live in unity with him. And through his word, he points plainly and clearly to the power of life that is expressed within these pages. It never ceases to amaze me the number of self-proclaimed believers and the number of churches that will say they follow Jesus, but don't really trust this. It doesn't really know how to speak to our times, to our days. It's outdated. There's some problems with it. To me, it is the height of insanity to rest our hope in a God whose word we don't trust. Now, for you and me, we want a purposeful, powerful life of faith. It comes when we follow God's word in totality. We saw a couple weeks ago in, in, in 2 Timothy 1, verse 13 through 18, the call to cling to sound teaching, to cling to God's word. That's because only God's word can give us a purposeful and consistent guide to living life in this broken, fallen world. Because only God's word teaches us how to truly and properly love others, how to live without the heaviness of guilt and shame in our lives. It's the only thing that tells us how to offer meaningful life-giving forgiveness to those who have hurt and offended us. 
It's the only thing that teaches us the value of pursuing holiness with all that we have and we all, all that we are. And we could go on and on and on down the list. The reality is the power of faithfulness in our lives is not a sheer act of will on our part or good thoughts or just trying to be better. It comes in the trust and acceptance of the word of God as our all-sufficient guide to life and godliness. You want a powerful life of faith? Apart from this, I'm sorry, it will never happen. Ever. Ever. I don't care how nice you are. I don't care how good you are. I don't care where you grew up. I don't care what you know. I don't care what you think sounds fair and nice and good. The power of faithful living is built on the power of God's word. So Paul continues on here. He says there's the power of the word. But he shows how the power of the word reveals to us the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. And he shows us this in verse 9 through 10. And I'm going to actually go back and we're going to read verses 8 through 10 so we get this, this whole thought all together. Paul says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead and descended from David according to my gospel, for which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. This is why I endure all things for the elect, so that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul shows us how the power of the word reveals the power of the gospel. Paul says he has endured imprisonment. And he knows, as we'll see later in this, this book, he, he, he knows that he will soon face execution for his faithfulness to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to his faithfulness to this calling to make that gospel known, to clearly proclaim it and to see God do what only God can do in the lives of those who are far from him, which is to obtain eternal salvation. He brings this gospel to the lost so that they may know the Lord and love him and serve him, that they may know the redemption and salvation that comes only through Jesus Christ. He says he does this for the elect. And we get into a whole theological conversation here on what he's talking about with the elect, but here's the thing. Anytime you see the elect in the pages of scripture, it's talking about the church. It's talking about those past, present, and future who have surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. So Paul says, I'm doing this for the church. I'm doing this so that others may know the Lord, may serve him, may become a part of the beautiful family of God. He says, I suffer. I suffer so that as many as possible might know the power of the gospel. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 and 29, he says, We proclaim him, him is Jesus. We proclaim Jesus, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully within me. He labors, he strives, he longs for people to know the power of the gospel. And he knows that while he sits bound for the sake of this message, the power and the authority of the gospel is unboundable 
And I know that's not a word. But it makes sense, right? He is bound. The power and authority of the gospel is unboundable. Nothing can contain the power of God and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the ruling, the reigning God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to offer redemption by his sacrificial blood to all of mankind. The gospel message is never meant to be something to shame us, to scare us, or to make us feel better about the way we're living our lives. It's meant to point us to a salvation that is found only in Jesus Christ. It reminds us of the incredible nature of God's creative ability to speak the heavens and the earth, the word from his mouth, to create us to live perfectly with him. It reminds us of the fact that because Adam and Eve sinned and welcomed that brokenness into their lives, we as children of Adam and Eve, as descendants from them, carry that sin nature with us in our human flesh in such a way that we could never earn a place in God's presence or in his kingdom. So that when left to our own devices, the best we can offer, the best we can do, we have nothing but rejection from a holy and perfect God. But because of that infinite love and mercy and grace, God refused to leave us in that state and sent his son Jesus to live perfectly, to die sacrificially, to rise victoriously and deliver us completely from our brokenness, from our sinfulness, from the raggedness of our flesh back to that perfect union with a good, holy, and perfect Father. Listen, if you don't find power in that, I can't help you. And I don't have any witty or shocking application for for these verses this morning. Only this truth. Jesus came to save you. Jesus came to save you, not because you're good, but because he is love. In his body and his blood, we find the only power to overcome sin and death and despair. So we are left with a choice to accept Jesus, to surrender our lives fully and completely to him, to follow him as the elect as the church, as the body of Christ, as the bride of Christ. And be empowered for faithful living as a son or a daughter of the king of creation. Or we can reject Jesus. We can give it our best shot. And we can suffer eternal damnation. And there is no third option. There's no other choice. It's one or the other. To not choose to follow Jesus, accept him, surrender our lives to him, follow him, give him everything we have and everything we are. To not make that choice is to choose the other direction. Let me ask you a a hard question this morning. Have we wrestled with not just the eternal weight 
But the day by day and moment by moment implications of that choice. It's Jesus or it's me. It is salvation, it is damnation. Because it's really easy to go, hey, I get this eternally, right? I'm saved, good. My eternity is secured. But do I think about that when I think about how I'm going to speak to that neighbor who annoys me? To that kid who hit a baseball and dented my car? To that person who was really mean to me? To that family member we just don't get along with? Do we live under the power of the gospel, living that faithful, joy-filled, hope-filled, celebratory life? Or do we reject that power and live in anger and bitterness and despair and frustration? The power of the word reveals to us the power of the gospel. And this leads us to the power of life in Christ. The power of life in Christ. And what you'll see in all three of these is you can't separate these into three distinct areas. Like I'm really good at this one and this one, ah, but not great in this one. I nailed this one. I'm horrible here, but I do really well here. These, these come together. It's the power of the word gives us the power of the gospel, which leads us to the power of life in Christ. Verses 11 through 13, Paul finishes this up and he says, this saying is trustworthy. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Okay, he says, here's this trustworthy saying. Him in this is Jesus Christ. He's talking about Jesus. But he offers this trustworthy saying. Now, we don't, we don't really know much about these trustworthy sayings. There's like five of them in Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus. Different times where he says, this is a trustworthy saying. They're, they're likely some form of common prayer uh, or a doxology or something of the day that the church knew. It was probably something that, that Timothy knew well. And so Paul says, listen, this is, this is good. This is trustworthy, right? And this, this is going to tell you everything that I'm talking about. And through this, he affirms the difference of a life lived by the power of the word and the power of the gospel. He's showing the difference of a life lived in Christ and a life lived apart from Christ. And he gives us really four statements here. First, he says, if we die with Christ, then we live with Christ. He's, he's looking back. He says, our past is laid to rest and we are renewed, right? If we died with Christ, if we gave ourselves fully and completely to him, surrendered our lives to him, then we live with him. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, right? If any was in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come, right? In Christ, when we die with Christ, we are made new, yeah, we still struggle with the sins of our flesh. We still have those battles. We are not perfected yet. 
but we are made new. The old has gone, the new has come. If we died with Christ, then we live with him. Paul says our past is done. Then he says, if we endure with Christ, we reign with him. Now he says, okay, your past has changed. He says, now your present has purpose. If we endure with Christ, we reign with him. Your present has purpose. First Peter chapter two, verse 19 and 20. It says, for it brings favor if, because of, a because of a consciousness of God, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. For what credit is there when you do wrong and are beaten and you endure it? But when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. And Peter says, you're going to endure suffering in this life. But realize if you do it because you are serving the Lord, if you are following him, then there's purpose to it. Because you are serving the Lord, you are bringing joy to him. You are fulfilling his purposes. I don't see anywhere in scripture where it says, if you fulfill God's purposes and you do what God asks, then life will be easy. Anybody find that verse yet? I have not. But if you find it, let me know, because I would love to have that one in my back pocket. But the fact is, our, our, our present circumstance has purpose if we are serving the Lord, or if we endure for Christ, then we reign with him, because we are part of the kingdom purposes. He goes on, he says, but if we deny Christ, he says, we'll be denied by him. He's now talking about our future. If we choose in this life to do things our own way, then we can't expect to stand before the Lord in judgment and have him go, that's okay, you tried really hard, come on in. That's not the way it works. He says, if we deny the Lord in this life, if we say, no, I am God, I get to choose what's good, I get to choose what's right, I get to choose what makes the most sense for me. God, you stay out of this one. I'll give you Sunday mornings. Maybe Wednesday nights, but stay out of this part of my life. Stay out of my finances. Stay out of my schedule. Stay out of my career decisions. I'll take care of those. But we choose, we're, we're going to deny him. We can't expect to stand and be known as faithful servants of the Lord. And at the same time, what that tells us is that our eternity, if we have surrendered to the Lord, is secured. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, it says, Through faith you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. If you do not deny him, if you accept him, realize that you are a son or a daughter, and you have already been accepted. So we look past, die with Christ, live with Christ. We look at the present, endure with Christ, reign with Christ. We look ahead, deny Christ, be denied by Christ. And then he gives this last statement, which feels like it's, just feels a little out of place, doesn't it? He says, but, but if we are faithless, he remains faithful because he doesn't change. What Paul's giving us here is that, yes, he's talking about the past, he's talking about the present, he's talking about the future. But then he steps outside of time. And he says, let's talk about this God who is greater than anything we can possibly begin to imagine. He says, even if we're faithless, he is faithful because he doesn't change. 
right? Listen, I don't care how far you have run from the Lord. I don't care what you have said, what you have done, where you have been. If you turn to the Lord, if you repent of sin, turn to the Lord, pursue him, love him, give him everything, there is redemption and there is salvation because he is faithful even to the most faithless of us. Hebrews 13, eight, Jesus Christ is the same when, yesterday, today, and forever. His power is greater than anything we can do. I used to take my, my kids, I don't do it as much anymore because they're a little bigger, but I grab them and I lift them up above my head and I rub their heads on the ceiling, right? And rub their heads on the ceiling and they'd be up there, they'd be screaming like it was all bad, but if I put them down, they're like, oh, go again, right? So I pick them up again and I rub their heads on the ceiling and they'd yell to, to Aaron, they go, mommy, look, look how tall I am. The power of their height was not in them being tall. It was the fact that I lifted them up to where they were. Living a life of faith by God's word in light of the gospel means that we have a powerful life, not because we are powerful, not because we've gotten there, not because we've achieved, not because we've matured in such a way that it was, you know, we did a really good job. It all comes back to the power behind the life. It comes back to the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And what that means for you and me today is that if we want to live this life in Christ, we have to remember the power that is behind that life. And when we go back to Jesus Christ, then we remember that we have been transformed. When we died with Christ, we lay down our lives, we give him everything, then we are transformed to be new. We now have a life with purpose and, and hope and joy. We have a true and lasting celebration of whatever this world throws at us through the good, the bad, and the ugly. Not because of who we are, but because who God makes us to be through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been transformed. We've been transformed and we've been strengthened. We can endure the monotony of life because we don't live in this world for the purposes of this world. We reign with Christ who reigns for all of eternity. And we will reign with him in the new heavens and the new earth for all of eternity when we are done in this place. We've been transformed, we've been strengthened, and we remember that we have been assured. Jesus does not change. So we can forever trust in his faithfulness. We can forever trust him when moments look dark and bleak and terrifying, when we feel lost, when we feel broken beyond repair. We can trust that there is a God who is faithful to us. Listen, this is so important for you and me today because it means that that we need not be overwhelmed by the distresses of this world. 
And I think we can all admit it's easy to look at our world and become overwhelmed with the distress of where we are and where it looks like we're going and the nature of this world in which we live. But we don't need to be distressed about that because we've been transformed and strengthened and assured. We need not be worried about our inability to measure up to some spiritual standards of people around us because it's never about them. It's about the power behind the gospel. We've been transformed. We've been strengthened. We've been assured of the life of faith that God has called us to and the growth and the journey and the walk that he has us on means we need not hang on to the guilt and the shame of our past sins because we have been transformed, we've been strengthened, we've been assured that when we laid our life down with Jesus Christ, he took all of that and cast that away from us, made us new. And while we carry some of that brokenness with us in our flesh, Amen? Some of that never goes away. But we don't have to let that rule over us. Because we are blessed not to be owned by our past. We are blessed to live freely in the present. We are blessed to rejoice in eternity ahead if, if we remember, we seek, we trust, we follow, and we obey Jesus Christ. So what is the power that drives our choices, our attitudes, our priorities, the investments of our time, energy, and treasures? What's the power that drives our lives today? Once again, over the past few weeks, we've been given lots of instructions. Lots of instructions through through Paul's writing here. Many things that we need to be doing to keep the fire of our faith burning hot and bright and strong. But as we think on those things, we should always come back to this reminder that he gives us today that we don't do those works for those works' sake. We don't even do those works for our sake. We do it because of the power that is behind the fire. Our heavenly father sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, into the world to bring us redemption and salvation. And Jesus, in turn, sent the Holy Spirit to indwell us, to lead us, to guide us, and equip us for a life of faithfulness to our God and King. And by this power, we have overcome sin and anger, death and bitterness, hatred, lust, envy, greed, and all other forms of ungodliness that take up residence within our human bodies. We've overcome those, not because of who we are, what we do, but by the power of God's word, by the power of the gospel, and by the power of a life that has been offered to us through the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And so, church family, may we do all the hard work of tending to our flame of faith that God has set before us this week. But may we do it not as a point of our own efforts or our own goodness. Instead, let the Holy Spirit remind us that in every step along the way, that this is our reorienting and reuniting of our hearts 
our minds and our souls with the glory of the power of our God and King. And as we do, may we rejoice in the goodness, the love, the grace, the mercy, and the peace that are in Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus alone. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the blessing you have given us of being your children. We know we are undeserving of that. And that's not something we say to say, woe is me, I can't do anything good or right, or I'm a terrible, no. We say that as a point of reality, that the best we have are nothing more than filthy rags before you. And as we remember that, Lord, it just heightens the love and the grace and the mercy that you have poured out on us. It heightens the the unbelievableness of our salvation. And it heightens our gratitude and our praise. So Lord, we thank you. And we pray that as you send us out this week, as you set before us the work that, that needs to be done, Lord, may we be faithful in the tending of our flame. May we be faithful in the works that you put before us, not because we are trying to earn your approval, but because you have already loved and saved us and given us so much more than we could ever hope to earn or deserve. And may we find strength in the power of your word, the power of the gospel and the power of a life lived with you. Lord, we love you, and we thank you, and we praise you. And in your great and awesome name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.